Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Well, good morning, church. What a week we've had with snow and ice and power outages and cancellations. How many of you have been without power this gather today. Uh, I know that our parking lot was a little bit dicey, but thank you to Stu and a couple of my boys for going out and helping clear the parking lot this morning. I know we have some visitors here from uh, Door of Hope because you guys weren't able to gather because of your parking lot this morning. So we're glad to have you guys. It's just a picture of uh, the church. You know, one day all of our local churches will go away and the global church will be worshiping King Jesus around the throne uh, together. So we're thankful to have some brothers and sisters here from another local body. Uh, This morning at Sojourn, we're starting our annual Vision and Values series. We do this typically every January, uh, which this year we're calling United. And we're studying our first value this morning, which is the gospel. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open there. Open to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans 1, 16. For $1,111, yes, that precise amount, Carissa Schumacher will help you connect with Jesus. Uh, This fee affords you entry into her L.A. studio where you can um, listen to a gospel-style choir. They warm up the room and get the the ambiance kind of ready for you. There's regular megastars who show up like Jennifer Aniston and Uma Thurman who participate in this. And so once the singing of the gospel choir tapers off, the hushed silence enters the room, along with a great anticipation. As Carissa enters into the room, she takes her seat and then she kind of stares off just long enough to make it awkward feeling in the room. You start to feel a little bit uncomfortable. But it's at this point, after much anticipation, that Carissa speaks through or Jesus, who she calls Yeshua, which isn't technically incorrect, speaks through her. At least that's what she's claiming is happening in the moment. One follower commented in a New York Times article, he said, the Yeshua channeling thing, it's way out there. And for some people, it's going to be insane, but everything she's communicated just resonates. Now, we all need something to make sense of life. We all need something to give life purpose. We all need something to resonate, but I am here to tell you if you have an extra $1,111 sitting on your nightstand collecting dust, that you need more than spirituality that's just going to resonate with you and your truth. In fact, I would love for you to give that to me this morning because I'm going to help you connect with the truth. But we need the truth, like actual verifiable truth that does more than resonate because things that just resonate with us and how we feel will eventually fail us. Those things eventually will let us down. We need something that's going to sustain us for the long haul throughout this life and throughout all of eternity. There has to be some kind of reality. There has to be some kind of actual truth behind that which resonates in our life. Now, in the letter to uh, Romans, the Apostle Paul wrote this, and we're not doing a full Roman study, but we'll be there this morning. Paul explains the gospel is not just how we begin Christianity. 
I think, I think most people who've been in church for any length of time would probably say that. Like, how, did, how does Christianity begin? How do you start in Christianity? And, and you hear some version of the gospel. But Paul's going to say that's not just how we start. It's how we actually grow in the Christian life, in what Jesus calls the kingdom, which is why the gospel is our first value at Sojourn. It's the starting place for everything we do. It informs everything that we do. We never graduate beyond it. But the longer I pastor, the more people I encounter, the more people I I talk with and counsel with some of my peers and people that I grew up with and even have a similar background, they have no problem agreeing to the facts of the gospel. They, they hear the facts and they kind of give the Sunday school answer, maybe what we call our kids' table answer, and they go, yes, like I agree with the facts of the gospel. But what I've also noticed in some of their stories is there's something that's missing in their actual daily experience of the gospel, how it's practically lived out. And so they agree with the facts, but then their life isn't necessarily lined up or being changed in the way they thought it would be with their daily experience. And so perhaps that's you this morning. Perhaps that's somebody in the room. If so, this message is for you. As a former pastor of mine says, the gospel is not just the diving board off which we jump into Christianity. It's the swimming pool in which we swim. And so it's not just, once again, that starting place, but it's a place you go deeper and deeper. It's not the only way that we begin our walks with Jesus. It's the way that we grow with Jesus. All of the Christian life flows from this good news, from this message we call the gospel. The news of what Jesus has done. And so this morning, as we start our Vision and Values series, the invitation is for you to rediscover the goodness, the excitement, the liberation, and the power of the Christian life that comes from the gospel. Now, we hear the word gospel a lot in the church. I've probably used it a dozen times already in the introduction to this message. But how would you define the gospel? If your neighbor came over to you this afternoon, or your co-worker in the cubicle next to you, or if you're still doing online uh, remote stuff and Zoom, and just said, hey, I know that you're a Christian. I know that you attend church. I came across this word gospel. What does it mean? How would you define that for them? The shortest definition I've heard is Jesus in my place. But let's unpack that just a little bit. So the gospel is the good news about who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he brings. J.D. Greer, in his recent book, Essential Christianity, says this. God, that's a starting place, in an act of grace, undeserved kindness, sent his son Jesus to earth as a man so that through his life, his death, in his resurrection, he could rescue us, reign as king, and lead us into the eternal, full life we were created to enjoy in his kingdom. You see, Christianity teaches fundamentally something different from religion. I was having this conversation the other day. You ever have conversations with people and then you reflect, God, I think I missed an opportunity? It was one of those conversations. I'm sitting with this lady from Australia. It's her first time, I believe, in Portland visiting some mutual friends over the house playing games. And, of course, my friend says, oh, by the way, Matt's a pastor. I right? kind of let the, let the cat out of the bag kind of thing. And she said, oh, interesting. And she said, well, in Australia where I live, she goes, religion, like younger people just have no interest in it. So it's kind of declining more and more. And I, you know, I kind of played along and said, well, that's, that's kind of true in the U.S. as well. It's just it's declining as a whole. And I said, but the good news is, and I was glad I said this part, that, that Christianity globally is exploding. And that, that we see that with the global church. And, you know, some places it's not, but... As a whole, it is. But what I failed to do that I want to point out to you is that 
Christianity teaches something so different from every other religion. Every other religion in the world says this, essentially, if you boil it all down. If you change or obey, you will be accepted, presumably by God. So I can remember when I lived in India talking to my Muslim friends. And it was like, I'm not heaven. How do you get to heaven? Well, I don't know. I just hope I'm good enough. I hope I do enough good things. And essentially every religion would teach that. But Christianity and the gospel would say this. You've been accepted by God through Jesus because of his work. Therefore, you will change or you will obey. So the messages are completely opposite. They're completely flipped upside down. So I'm going to say that again just in case you didn't catch it. So religion would say if you change, you will be accepted. Christianity... And the gospel says you've been accepted by God through Jesus, therefore you will change. You see, Christianity doesn't just proclaim some kind of good advice. It doesn't give us a good option amongst many paths that will lead to God. Christianity proclaims good news with the way to God. And it's this good news that transforms us from the inside out. And so it's one thing to understand the gospel because it resonates with we hear the message, and that, 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 that seems to make, make sense. But it's quite another to actually experience the gospel on a daily basis in a way that it actually changes us, that it becomes the source of our identity and our security. You know, I think about identity. That's a huge, I mean, we could go on a whole series about identity, especially with millennials and Gen Z today. But as those in Christ, this is where our ultimate identity should come from. We can rest secure in the identity that we've been given in Christ. And so how do we know when the gospel has done its work in us? We know the gospel has done its work in us when we crave God more than we crave anything else in life. When we crave God more than we crave that next career move. When we crave God, if you're single, more than that relationship and that maybe that potential marital status. When we crave God more than our family. When we crave God more than our own health. When we crave God more than our own success in this life. And when seeing his kingdom advance in the life of others gives us more joy than any of those things. Now, those are all good things. Those are earthly pleasures that God gives us. That, that it tells us in Scripture that God gives good things, good gifts to his children. But that we crave the advancement of his kingdom and seeing that happen in the lives of others more than any of those things. That's how we know when the gospel is doing its work within our lives. And so it's for this reason that this year, as we look at our value of the gospel, we're going to look at Romans 1, verse 16, at being unashamed of the gospel. Now, the main idea this morning, if you are taking notes, is that we should be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus because it is the power of God for salvation for all people at all times, everywhere. I do believe I have a slide for this. We should be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus because it's the power of God for salvation for all people at all times, everywhere. Now, specifically those of you who are sojourning, I would ask you, do you actually believe this message? Not does it resonate with you, but do you actually believe this? Because if we do actually believe this, I want us to grow in being unashamed of the gospel and the implications that would have for us as a church in the city of Portland. We're, we're in a city where, yes, there's a lot less Christians. There's, we're in a city where Truthfully, if you're living and practicing the way of Jesus, there, there's going to come a time and day, and it probably happens sooner than later, where you, you would naturally feel ashamed in your flesh, but you're going to have to fight through to feel unashamed because of your relationship with Jesus. Because it brings you no credibility. It doesn't benefit you in our culture, in our city where we are living. 
but that this message is the power of God, that it can change the people that you work with, it can change your friends and your neighbors and your family. And, and so my question for us as we look at this main idea is do we actually believe that? Are we actually going to believe that and live out its implications in this coming year? And so point number one this morning, I've just got two. First one is unashamed of the gospel, verse 16, Romans 1. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so Paul says he is not ashamed of the gospel. Now, Tim Keller provides four ways that the gospel is, however, offensive. The gospel, by telling us that our salvation is free and undeserved, is really insulting. Here's what the gospel tells us, that we are such spiritual failures on our own, that the only way that we can receive salvation is it has to be a completely free gift. The good news in that is an equal playing field for every single one of us. None of us came in, none of us were born with a leg up on somebody else. The second way it's offensive is the gospel is also really insulting by telling us that Jesus died for us. That we were so lost, that we were so depraved, that it took the death of Jesus in order for God to save us. Third way that's offensive, the gospel, by telling us that trying to be good and spiritual isn't enough, thereby insists that no good person will be saved, but only those who come to God through Jesus. Essentially, this offends the modern idea that any good person can find their own way to God. I saw, I saw yesterday a quote, I don't, I don't remember who it was by, but someone sent me this, and it and so that, you know, when we look at someone and say, it's so unfair that that innocent person had to go through such uh, an injustice. And, and the person, I mean, it was, it was a total Jesus juke, but it was one that I was like, man, that makes sense. It was like, that only ever happened to one person, and he voluntarily went to through that injustice for all of mankind. So it totally goes against that idea. Fourth way the gospel is offensive. It tells us that our salvation was accomplished by Jesus suffering and serving, not conquering and destroying, and that following him means that we will also suffer and serve with and so it offends people who want salvation to be an easy life. I'm here to tell you that salvation, those who follow Jesus and practice of Jesus, it's, it's not easy. And honestly, it's not going to get easier. You know, we, we, we hear the stats, we see the studies by Barnum Research Group and others, that it's, it's honestly only going to get more challenging. But, once again, the good news, when we look at our brothers and sisters, once again, where the church is globally exploding, it's some of the hardest areas in the world to be a Christian. Those who live under persecution, those who, who for fear of, of, of gathering, have to gather secretly in, in house churches and underground churches. This also offends people who want their lives to be safe and comfortable. The way of Jesus is a very, uh, in, in essence, a very dangerous life. And that it's not going to give that safe, comfortable life. And so Paul says, but the gospel is nothing to be ashamed of. Even knowing that, it's nothing to be ashamed of, for it is in fact the message that comes with the power of God and it brings salvation to people. And so where do we see the power of the gospel on display? It's in its ability to change people's hearts, people's minds, their life orientation, our understanding about everything that happens in life. It is powerful because it has the power to do what nothing else can do. There's no other message, no other person that can change you this way. In, in, the, in the summertime, we do church in the park. And so uh, days like today, I'm kind of looking forward to church in the park because it's warm, the days are long, a lot more sunshine. But this past summer, I think we're, we're going to do it this coming summer, is we took time just to share stories, or our testimonies. And so we just pick one person and say, hey, we want you to share your story. And what's, what's awesome about that is we get to hear how the power of the gospel, how the power of this good news changed people's lives. People from all different backgrounds and walks of life and socioeconomic status and different ethnicities. 
that it has the power to save, that it can save us and it can reconcile us to God. When dynamite was invented in the 18th century, they actually derived this name from the Greek word for power. Now, Paul didn't know about dynamite. At least I don't, I don't think they had dynamite, once again, in the 18th century. But it's a good image to use when thinking of the gospel. That it's got that, that power. And it's God's power to create, to redeem, to heal, and to bring back people from the dead. Like, there's no other message that can do this. If, if there is, please, let's take some time and, and, and to discuss that. Let's interrupt me and someone else come up here and tell me some other message that actually has the power to do this. There's always a claim to have the power, but it doesn't follow through. And so, see, the gospel for us, it's not some new strategy. It's about an entirely new life. And then it will change you from the inside out, and you will continue to walk. So that's that journey we talk about sojourn. We talk about people on this journey, and we invite them on this journey, and what it means to follow Jesus. And it's okay that some of you are over here, and some of you are here, and maybe you're going through a down season, and you're over here. But it's this power that's changing, and it's continuously and continuously. And so that now that we're in 2024, that we can look back when we get to the end of this year or a year from now, we're going through the same series that we would look back and go, man, over this last year, the gospel has changed me continuously through this way. That I've now grown further and I look more like Jesus because of the power of this message. And here's the thing he tells us here. He says this good news is available to all people. The Jew first, but also for the Gentile. It's available to anyone and all who believe. It's available for you. It's available for me. It's available for our entire city. And so when you think about those people that you love in your life, those who you think, man, they are so far along. They're so anti-Christian. They're so anti-Jesus. They're so, they're so you know, far away at arm's distance. Whether it's family or friends, there is hope for them. This message is available to them. And now there's, there's a role that we play in that, but the message is for all. And if you know much about the Apostle Paul, like he was the person you would have not thought would have given his life to Jesus. Think about your own story. Some of you would say, you know what? I was that person. And look at me now. And so it gives us hope for those in our lives who are not quite there. But here's the danger for most of us in the world. And I'm thinking definitely myself, but some of you as well. Is that we can easily find ourselves trapped in this place where we think that we've graduated beyond the gospel. You think, oh, I've been in church for this long, I've given my life to Jesus. But we should view the gospel like a well. And when you think about a well, you find the purest water from the spring of life by digging deeper and deeper into the well, not by wider and wider. And so for the gospel, we need to go deeper and deeper. We need to continually end our lives. And so we don't only proclaim and preach the gospel to others, we proclaim and preach the gospel to ourselves. Because we continually need that message. And it's the most important thing that we have to share with others. Some of you love to share. I'm, I'm an extrovert, if, if you know me, the extroverts in the room. Like, we love to share. Like, we get around people, and we just come alive, and we like to be like, hey, I got this, or this, or this happened. I fell in the snow. I love to tell those things. But the most important thing that we need to remember is the news that we all have, regardless if you're an extrovert or introvert, is the gospel. This good news that the Father God, through Jesus, is reconciling all things back to himself, and he's restoring all things back to himself. It's only good news because it's offered to mankind on behalf of Jesus. And the salvation is by grace through faith. I'm just going to turn that off. It's distracting me. <laughs> so let's be unashamed of the gospel in 2024. Number two, faith in God and through God is what saves us. And so Paul now tells us why 
Verse 17, he says, For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, I think we get a pretty good grasp of righteousness and being right when you think about your job or maybe the government, your family, or another person. It's kind of this, it's this, this positional word, meaning you have a good or a right standing to have no debts or liabilities that you owe to the other person or organization. As a result, you're accepted by that other party because they have nothing recorded against you. And so Paul is showing us that the life of faith is all-encompassing. It's that, yes, it is by faith that one receives salvation initially. So if you're in the room and you haven't taken that step yet, that's what I draw invitation to you, is that it does take faith. I won't deny that. There's, there's this leap that you have to have. But it is also by faith that one lives each and every single day. In other words, we do not become righteous by faith and then maintain it through our own goodness and works. Right? There's some that preach this message, essentially. Like, when you come to faith, then it's up to you. It's up to you to figure this out. But it's important to realize how much more is promised here than mere forgiveness. Many of us think that, that Jesus came merely to save us by forgiving us of our sins. Now, don't mishear me. Our sins were laid on him at the cross, and that is true. That, that he is here to forgive you of your sins, to pardon you. But that's only half of Christian salvation. If that were all Jesus did, and they said, okay, now go, now go live this life, then it would be up to us. He would give us a clean slate, and then he'd say, all right, now you need to go add credit to, to your account. And you need to make sure that you keep up with that. But Paul tells us, rather than merely being declared not guilty, we have also been given his righteousness. So yes, he declared us not guilty by wiping this, the slate clean, but then he also gave us his righteousness. He imparted his righteousness to us. And so some of us need to accept that righteousness. Some of us need to stop trying harder to do it in our own strength and accept the righteousness that has already been given us by faith in Jesus and his way. I love how John Stott puts it. John Stott, he says, it's like receiving a pardon and a release from death row in prison. Then we'd be free. But on our own, we're left to make our own way in the world. We're thrown back on our own efforts if we're to make anything of ourselves. But in the gospel, we discover that Jesus has taken each and every single one of us off the death row. And then he has hung around our neck the Congressional Medal of Honor. And now we're received and welcomed as heroes as if we had accomplished extraordinary deeds. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't leave it up to us. He doesn't say, here you go, I'll get you out of the mess that you got yourself in. Now go figure it out. Because what's going to happen if we go figure it out? We're going to get ourselves back in that same mess. But he says, no, I've given you my righteousness. I've given you my spirit, the Holy Spirit within you. And now go and to live in this way. And this is why it's sojourn. We don't just start with the gospel. But we continue with the gospel. And we live out the implications in our life, in our church, in our community, in our city, and in our world. And so here this loud and clear, sojourn is the church that you call home. The gospel will always be central to the message and the mission at sojourn. Because the gospel is where the power is. It will characterize our messages. It will always be what characterizes our mission. And nothing should get in the way. So this is where we all hold each other accountable for this. We will never be a church that allows politics to get in our way. I don't care who you're planning on voting for this year. I don't even care who the candidates are. We will not let that get in the way of the gospel. We won't let our personal agendas. This is probably what affects most churches, especially smaller churches. You're more vulnerable to this. We come in with personal agendas and preferences or desires. It can be something silly from the chairs, which I don't personally love. 
to the carpet, we don't live in a building, we can't change it to the style of music that we do. Like those little things add up and make big things. But we put all those to the wayside. So those aren't, those aren't bad, but those become the primary thing. So the primary thing is that we're here to not only believe the gospel, but to live the gospel and let the gospel characterize everything that we do. And so our desire as soldiers to be a group of ordinary people and have fallen in love with Jesus who are radically giving our lives away for the sake of others. Now, how do we do this? By inviting the city of Portland on a journey to learn what it means to follow Jesus. That is how we are to do this. Why? Because this is the journey where there's power. There's power in salvation through the gospel is found. In church, I would say this. It's a matter of death, death and life. When you think about the people in our city, when you read the stats, you can Google them, look them up, I can quote them to you. At least every other church planner in the city can quote them to you. It's a matter of life and death. That those people in our city are on a, a path, on a journey of walking away from the cross. Walking away from Jesus. And part of the reason that you have been put here, whether it's for a season temporarily, as if you're literally a sojourner passing through, or if this is where you have roots and you call this home, is to proclaim this message. Because we're headed on a path of destruction, and you have a chance and an opportunity and as that song that we sang, I can't remember exactly what the words were in the second song, but it said something like, if you're here, it's not too late. Like, this message is for you. And so that is what we are to take and to carry with us with the gospel. Because we believe that this message, it's not an outdated message, it's not an old message, it's just an old history book. But it's a message that actually radically transforms hearts and lives. And it doesn't stop at the moment of one's salvation. So while it is still for us, it's for us to go now give this away to others. And so the most important thing that we can believe in 2024 is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to continue to believe that message. Let it continue to change you. Let it continue to move you and drive every single thing that you do. I quit wearing my glasses a month ago, so all of you are actually blurry this morning. But I used to take my glasses and say, like, when we wake up in the morning and then I put on my glasses, I put on my gospel lenses. That I need to see the entire world and everything that I do, the way that I treat my wife, the way that I parent, the way that I have friendships, the way that I pastor, the way that I'm a, a citizen of the city and just a neighbor, through the lens of the gospel. Because of now Jesus within me, how is it that it impacts how I live my daily life? And so everything that we do as a church is centered on this good news. The way we serve, the way we sing songs, fellowship we have, our prayers, outreach, everything. And that because of this message, 2024 will be a hope-filled year. Because the gospel continues to change everything. And I'm excited about the stories that will come out of our church this year. I think about the stories from last year, some of you in the room, and just what's, what's taking place and hearing your story, how God transformed you, how God continues to transform us. And so, Sojourn, let's structure our year around the gospel. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Practically, here's what this means for our church. I'm trying to get this series, I'm adding some different components. And so if you go to the next slide, I've got two more slides as we get ready to wrap up. I know it's kind of small, but the first is, what does this mean for our church? Okay, you kind of heard like, okay, this is the big picture, but what does this mean practically? Well, we are convinced that good deeds and good news cannot be separated from an orthodox understanding of the gospel. That the gospel informs that as we live that out. Second, that we believe ministering and serving are the natural expressions of everyday living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. That it comes, in other words, from, from personal involvement. Like, yes, we, we, we hear the gospel, and we study the gospel, and we're playing the gospel, but there's also personal involvement. 
and practice ministering and serving to those around us. Third, we see our gospel presence as vital to the health and well-being of the neighborhoods in Portland. We are here to seek and to bless the city. Fourth, we anticipate a positive reaction by kingdom seekers to the living gospel being demonstrated through word and deed in a manner of grace and truth. In other words, there's something about that. Like, like if you're familiar with terminology in churches, they have some churches they call them attractional churches, some they would say they're seeker-friendly churches, some are simple churches, all those things. But for always said that our attraction will be us living out our values. Our attraction will be as we live out the kingdom of God here in this city, that that itself will be attractive. That the, that the people of, of peace, as Luke describes them, will be something there. There's something about the way that community lives that entices me to go find out more. And then fifth, we desire to be an evangelistically potent church. So in other words, that there's this, this gravitational pull. That the same message has impacted you, that you will now go share that with others. I think sometimes we forget that. I understand it's hard. It's hard to pick up a card and invite somebody to church. It's hard to open your mouth and say, hey, I, mean, I believe this crazy message that this guy was actually born by a virgin, and they grew up, and they lived this perfect life, and then went to uh, die on a cross and took your bad stuff and my bad stuff, and they came back to life. Like, I know that's crazy, and it's hard to put yourself out there, but I think sometimes we forget it's that same message that actually impacted your life, if you actually believe it. And at the end of the day, it is going to be weird to some degree. But I think there's a way that you can do it that, that maybe eases the weirdness. Don't be weird for weirdness' sake, but be who you are in those same relationships. Just naturally share this overflow because of your love and care for them. And I think if you share it in the lovingness that you would, just as, just as it, if this morning, if the parking lot was full of ice, which it actually was, and Stu went out there and shoveled it, and got it as clear as possible, but you know, if, if it was so full that we needed you not to park there, right? Like we would have standing there, we would have been doing this. And you would have thought we looked really weird and crazy. Like, what are they doing? But there's ice here. You're going to you're going to wreck your car. You're going to fall and break your hip. In that same way, you'd be thankful that we did that. That we have this message that we need to say, hey, hey, look, it's not too late. There's this message of grace, and it's for you, and it's for me, and it's for our entire world. So here's the priorities. Well, you know, here's the priorities. Go to the next slide. Last one. That we are committing to as a church. Kind of what I am challenging and calling us to commit to as a church. And we'll probably get these sent out in the in a newsletter. The gospel grows deeper in you and wider through you. And so the first is our character. That as a church, we're calling you to commit to practicing prayer, fasting, and Bible intake. Some of these practices that we've looked at. Because through these, that you're going to continue to grow in the way of Jesus. Second is our community. We are calling you as a church, challenging you to commit to participate in our weekly worship gathering, what we're doing right now, and a table of gospel community. And so, in, in other words, fight through the times of inconvenience. This isn't, this isn't a judgment call, but to me, it's like we, we've got to grow as a place that we love and value so much gathering. The church is way more than what we're doing today, but it is also a very important part of what we're doing as a church. And so, that we're calling you to commit to, to participate in that fully. I always joke I'm the only one who can't get out of this on a weekly basis, but I, I feel that we should all actually feel that way if we're all really part of this. Um, number The third thing is mission, that we are calling you to commit to serving our city. Sometimes that's on your own, but you can invite us to do that. And then other times, like at the end of this month, we're going to the harbor and we're having one of our serve nights. And then by sharing the gospel and then inviting others. And so that can look a variety of ways. Um, and then the, the, the next one is generosity. 
So we talk about generosity, your time, talent, your treasure, and I've kind of stayed with that message for the last several years, and that's still what we want you to do. But this year, I specifically feel called to challenge us to grow and pursue generosity with your finances as an act of trust in God. We haven't got there yet, but one of the practices that's coming up, I think, this year that we do on Wednesday night, like we've done fasting, we've done prayer, it actually deals with generosity. And in some ways, it's very similar, right? When fasting, it's the, it's the lack of food. It's that trusting God is going to sustain you for food. And generosity is the same way. That when you say, man, I really, this kind of feels, this kind of hurts to be able to generously give financially. You're trusting God that he's actually taking care of you and providing for you, not your job and not your, your um, paycheck. And the second thing is the gospel grows wider through you in the world. So are we eager to share the gospel and invite someone into this spiritual journey as Paul was? He says earlier in, in Romans 1 that he was eager. You find yourself eager to share this message with people in your life. Who is the one person you can identify in your life that you can share the gospel with this year? I'm not saying you have to come up with a list of ten. Who's the one person? I guarantee you they've already come to your mind. They're already in your heart. Who's that one person that this year, you say, I'm not letting this year go by without clearly sharing the gospel. It may come in, in, in bite-sized pieces. It may come over multiple cups of coffee or multiple lunches, but I'm sharing the gospel with that person this year. And I would say start by praying for them. Today, this afternoon, right now, during response time, pray for that person by name. Invite them to a gathering. They might be open to coming to something like this. Now, you know them better than I do, right? I know our city, and I always say, oh, people aren't likely to come. But I've been reading different reports. There's uh, Boston. Boston's actually probably as least reached as Portland is. And there's this um, lady I follow, Rebecca McGrath, and if you've read any of her books, Michelle about her church. There's one of the ways that their church is growing is by a simple invitation to people in their life to come check out what they're doing. And then it's actually more appealing than people, people realize. So invite them to a gathering, or invite them to a gospel community, or invite them to a table, or a, a serve night, or a game night, if you think that, that that would be a better safe spot. And then finally, invite them over for dinner or out for coffee as you build a genuine relationship with them out of love as you continue to build on that. So on that note, a couple of things I just want to point out. One is, I, I pointed out more, we have these invite cards, right? They're not, they're not everything. I don't put like 100% stock in these, but having just one of these. I literally carry an Apple wallet so I can have one of these. I can't have a bunch on hand. And just as it, and sometimes I have that for weeks, and as I come across someone and we end up having a conversation, and I, it's like, oh, I'm, sometimes I say I'm looking for a church or I'm interested in this. It's real easy to say, man, here, I'd love for you to join me at this. Another thing, I'm not a big uh, track person, if you know what those are, but these are uh, gospel booklets. If nothing else, it helps you remember some of the key components of the gospel, what it is that I'm sharing. So it's, I've got these available for you as well if you want, want these. It just kind of helps you remember those key points of what it is that you are to say. And so in conclusion, church, the gospel will always calls an offense. Because it reveals that we have a need in our lives that we cannot meet. And so we'll always be tempted to be ashamed of. But we need to remember that there's a power in the gospel. The power of God is righteousness that's been given to you that is now your righteousness and that it should reverse our attitude of feeling that shame and to where we're unashamed of this gospel message and that we want to share it with others. So let me pray for us and we'll respond to Jesus together. God, we thank you for this message of the gospel, this good news. God, the fresh reminder that we found ourselves broken and in a mess we had no way to get out of. But that you loved us and cared for us so much that you promised us that you would one day send a rescuer 
to not only rescue us, but to also restore us. And so, God, we thank you that you sent Jesus to take our place. And that Jesus offered us salvation through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And that now, as a result, not only have we been given a clean slate, if we believe and accept that message, but also you have you've put your righteousness on us. And that you look at us as your beloved sons and daughters. And so we thank you for your righteousness, for the righteousness of Jesus being put on us. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in the room, whether they're part of Sojourn or whether they're visiting us today from another church. God, you've called us to this city for a reason, and you've called us to be unashamed of the gospel. And that we would remember that we go out into the world as salt and lights. And God, that we would go out this week being reminded of that. God, that you would put just one individual in our hearts and minds this morning, someone that we're going to start praying for, someone that we're going to intentionally pursue to share this good news with. Because not that we believe they need it, we don't, that we believe they need it because we also need it, and that all people need it. And God, that this year we would hear stories of life change, of people who, they can even point back to this message, say, I started praying for this person back in January, and here we are in April, and here we are in June, and here we are in August, and they have now given their life to Jesus. And that we be praising you and celebrating you through the work that you're doing in and through our church. We love you. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.